You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode number 45 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Damien McGrath. Damien is the head coach of the Canadian Men's Sevens team, who finished eighth in the World Rugby standings for the 2016-17 season. Born in Yorkshire, England, he played and coached professional rugby league, both with the Leeds Rhinos and England, before Sir Clive Woodward offered him the opportunity to cross codes in 2001. After this encounter, he then had roles with England, Leicester, Spain, Wales, Samoa, and now with Canada, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome, Damien. Thank you very much, Andrew. Yeah, no worries. So um, you, I, I got you to email me some info on your coaching journey so far, and it's uh, it's it's a pretty comprehensive one. Um, I only briefly touched on it. Can you go into a bit of details about the rugby league background and then transitioning to rugby? Sure, it is a bit of a long and winding road. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was a you know a professional rugby league player, but you know not a very good one. I was always fascinated by what made good players what they were. What, what was the difference between them and the and the rest of us mere mortals? And yeah, <laughs> um, and whilst I say whilst it was professional rugby league back in those days, it was a, a part time thing. You you had a, a day job, and then we we trained four or five nights a week. Yeah. Um, I, I was a, a you know I trained to be a teacher. I went to university to be a teacher. So I, I suppose the the transference into coaching was a, was an obvious one yeah. uh, given that uh, background and interest. I, um, I I I became player coach for the reserve grade at, at Batley, and um, just by chance, my my former coach recommended me to the Leeds Rhinos to their head coach at the time. They were they were starting off their big academy program in the late eighties, early nineties, and right. looking for an up and coming coach. And I, I suppose just like you know, sometimes it's been in the right place at the right time, and I I got that opportunity with, with one of the, the blue chip clubs of, of British rugby league, and um, you know that that sort of set me on the road to uh, you know to where I am today. I, I went worked through the academy system. I coached Great Britain Academy. Uh, I coached Great Britain under twenty ones. I was offered the opportunity then to to move up to the senior team, and and I was lucky to work with uh, with some really top line coaches. Um, in you know, in the first team at, at, at Leeds, um, that also led to me being appointed as the assistant coach to the to the Great Britain full team. You know, 2000 World Cup was a was a great highlight for me. And oh, amazing, with, yeah. With Leeds, we won the Challenge Cup and went to grand finals. And you know, it was a, it was a great time, and I, I learned so much and met so many great people. That led to me. Uh, I had a I had a brief stint in London with uh, when Richard Branson's Virgin Group. Uh, bought the London Broncos, oh, yeah, which yeah. Uh, was a was a big deal at the time. They brought over a host of stars, and I I had a fantastic year in in London with some of the NRL's big stars came in for a year. But and then I got that chance to go. You know, Clive was was building his his elite performance team with the with England Rugby, which led on to the World Cup win and, and many other things. Mm. And I, I I took a gamble, and yeah, I went across with with one of my great friends, Joe Lydon, who was a rugby league legend, and. Uh, the two of us went across there, and I, I did skills and defence. It was the days way before rugby league people were really involved, and mm. um, I had a fantastic time, but but learnt so much. It, I worked with the sevens predominantly, and with England A, um, 
and had a couple of years at Leicester Tigers because the, you know, the people like Clive were you know had a had a good grasp on things and they wanted me to get some day-to-day knowledge and it was the time when the Tigers were were sweeping all before them and virtually the whole team were you know with the England or you know the Irish mm-hmm. everybody was international it was a it was a, a marvelous opportunity so I had a couple of years there where I did England and and Leicester and um, like all good things it, it eventually came to an end when when the senior team weren't doing well and they swept all the they virtually swept the board with the coaches and yeah uh, that got me, that led me to to doing a, a couple of years in Spain which was something I never I never thought would happen and yeah with the Spanish national team I, you know I, being English you go to Spain on holidays and, and you'd see nothing <laughs> and or football teams and I was surprised how big rugby was in Spain and um you know, I'd go over for four weeks at a time to Madrid, and we had a we had a marvelous time working there with mm. with such a committed group of, of players. And I found out that there were more registered players in Spain than there were in Scotland. And wow, you know, some amazing. I, I didn't realize how big rugby was, and um, you know, we had a great journey. It was before the financial crash, and there was quite a bit of financial backing for the team. And we we moved up from 38th in the world, I think, to about 19th. It was a real upward mm. curve. But then I was offered the, the full-time opportunity to go back into rugby league with Huddersfield Giants as uh, performance director. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, I, I felt, uh, you know, family-wise was a was a better move. You know, my wife was was keeping us on the straight and narrow uh, in terms of her job. So <laughs> I came back there and had a that, that was a they say never go back and I, and it, I don't know what I was expecting. It wasn't quite as uh, quite as exciting as the first time round in rugby league, but. Mm. I, a, a couple of good years there, and then Joe Lydon, who I mentioned earlier, who who'd been uh, England with me, he was then the performance director with the Welsh Rugby Union. He invited me to come and be head of rugby in North Wales. Yeah. Um, so I had a, a couple of great years there, and then um, Simon Amor took over as the head of the Sevens program with England. And Simon was captain when I coached the England Sevens originally, and he, right. he said it was his first ever senior coaching role. He wanted me to come and, and assist and work on the things that I'd done before. So I thought, why not get yeah. back? You know? So I went back to England for that year, and then the Samoa job came up, um, which was a whole. You know, I think you could fill two hours on, on that as, a, <laughs> as an experience. But then you know, um, it, I, I had a. It, it was a great life experience, although the rugby side was was up and down. Mm. It, it ended in a bit of a messy divorce, but. The Canadian role came up, and here I am. Eventually, after that long story of you know in Canada and, and enjoying life. Yeah, and you're you're yeah. fully entrenched and uh, drinking Tim Hortons every day. Is uh, is that where you're at right now? <laughs> absolutely, yeah, Tim Hortons is the one for me. Yeah, yeah absolutely, cool. Um, yeah, I'm 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 really interested in that that rugby league uh, union kind of crossover. Like I, I all through my uh, junior stuff, I, I played rugby league and didn't switch until I went to university and. I I am always interested in what coaches think about um, you know what are some takeaways for union that that coaches could take from league uh, from today's modern game. I think it, the games are, are much closer together now than they were when I first took that mm. step back at the beginning of the, the millennium. Um, then the only thing really that was similar was the shape of the ball. Everything yeah. else was, was was much different. My my transition across came when. Um, Two big stars of, of British rugby league at the time, Yestin Harris and uh, Henry Paul, made big money moves across. Yeah. Yes, 
Cardiff and Henry went to Gloucester. Mm. And they were huge stars in rugby league at the time and they, they struggled um, because the games were, were played so much differently. Rugby league's played at the defensive line. Back then, the game was played much further away in rugby union terms. You know, nothing like it is today where, mm. you know, where, where it's, it's played much further up. So... Um, it was it was adapting to to the nuances of the game. I, although rugby league was was my background, and I'd been a rugby league man lot through and through. I, I was I'd gone to school to a grammar school where where rugby union was the the game. So we we actually played rugby at school, and so it's not as though it was completely alien to me. But mm. um, I found it I, I found it it was if I didn't try and compare it like for like to rugby league, found it much easier to deal with that. Just like rugby league, uh, where the play of the ball is the is the centre of the game, the breakdown is a key to, to rugby mm-hmm. union. Mm-hmm. And I think if you put that into your mind and, and realise that the game has much more similarities, then you want to draw people into the breakdown to create more space outside. And um, you know, those were the lessons I learned very quickly. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I haven't watched a rugby league game for for a few years, even state origin. I'm kind of uh, you know, being in Canada, you don't you don't see a lot of it. But um, yeah, I think I think in terms of uh, physicality in defence and uh, some of the, some of the running lines in attack when they when they do run backs moves off you know fourth or fifth tackle, there's uh, there's definitely some some things to to grab there. I think initially when I when I first made that change, they were looking for that defensive system yeah. at rugby, mm-hmm. and an organising defences is one of the easiest things I think as a coach to do. And I think you you can you can make yourself look good by by preparing your team not to lose as opposed to trying yeah, to win. Yeah. Uh, people such as Phil Lardo who went to England and had such a, a big effect. Mm. You know, and I did the same with, with the England Sevens and the England Air, all those teams I was involved with. Working on defensive systems at that time was a, was a much easier thing to do and you could have some immediate success. And mm-hmm. um, and initially, that was, I think, that was what rugby wanted from Rugby League. They wanted that defensive alignment and they thought that everybody coming from rugby league would just be defensive orientated. Mm. Whereas as a rugby league coach, we, we worked much more on the individual skills and the attacking side of the game was, was much, uh, w- w- had much more importance to us. You mentioned the, the Samoa coaching role and in terms of uh, experiences and uh, you know takeaways from that, what did you get as a coach and just as a person? Because you know, the, the Pacific Islands are just awesome and the, the people are amazing and... You know, they're born to play rugby as well, so there would have been some great takeaways as well. Yeah, and culture's such a huge thing. Yeah, you know, I think everybody looks from the outside at, at Samoa and Fiji and Tonga and thinks, I'd love to get my hands on those guys. You could really do something with them. It's not so much the players, it's 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 everything else that goes into it that, that, that makes it so complicated because, you know, there are three things in the Pacific Islands. There's God rugby and family and, mm. and everything revolves around those three things and you, you need to be mindful of of everyone's mindset and, and how they approach things and how they look at things and it's not just organising the team to play uh, uh, you know, young people are very um, very respectful of anybody who, who's older because that's you know you don't have to earn respect there by having age you automatically get respect so Having two-way conversations with players to begin with was difficult. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the language part of things was was hard, but uh, and it was fantastic from a coaching point of view because you get used to all the bells and whistles uh, in in the Western Hemisphere. You know, there we had the pitch looked like 
at the fairground when the fairs left town. You know, there was no grass. <laughs> um, you know, we had a couple of couple of balls and a and a few cones. No kit. You know, the players had no training kit for the entire time I was there. And wow. it's amazing what you can do without all the extras. And you know, the the journey was about building trust with the players. And because once the players trusted you, you could. You know, I'm trying to explain to them why we did things because I, I'm always big on on why, why we do it before, you know, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And to get them, you know, to to buy into to the to what I wanted to do. And I, and I gave them, um, I, I put in place a little leadership group, which which seems obvious to to people who, you know, who work in, in Western Hemisphere teams. Mm. That, But the players, I gave them a say, even though I, you know, I, to a degree, I led them by the nose to, you know, but they, I allowed them to make decisions on on things we did, and it was it, much of the success we had, you know, and, and you'd, I mean success in relative terms, from where we were to where we finished, mm. was based on me getting the players to 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 buy into my way of doing things and and to get them to trust and and you know by the end they were there was a lot of communication and they were leading sessions and. And having input, and it, which which you know really warmed my heart because whilst it didn't maybe translate into lots of cups and medals, I, I, I just felt from where we started with players with their heads down who didn't want to look you in the eye to where we finished uh, with a vibrant, really positive, happy group. Then you know that was that was the big thing for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And what what were some of the key things like you mentioned creating a leadership group? But a lot of it would have been like not actually on the field. You like when you when you're interacting well, with them. Bit, I mean, you again, you um, you, you know what uh, Polynesian players are like. They've got they've, they've got the physical attributes. They they've all got a sidestep. They love to they love the physicality of the game. They love to run mm. into people. He was he was trying to get them to have that discipline of. Uh, of catch and pass and when to, you know that you don't just throw the ball anywhere and but I did that you know over time rather than trying to be too disciplined to begin with and mm. they appreciated that side because at home and at school or wherever they've been you know discipline and and not having a, an opinion was was what they were used to I mm. I encouraged the opposite which was part of my downfall with the Samoan hierarchy in the end but you know that that's a different story, but it was it was doing the things off the field that when we sat in rooms and, and chatted about the game and trying to explain and and and, and getting them to give an opinion and, and be confident to give opinions. Mm. Which you know, it's easy to say that like, I want you to trust me because I'll trust you, but that doesn't you know, the world doesn't work like that. It was it was proving to them that they could you know the you know I had confidence in them and trust and that you know it was all right to make mistakes and you know we could. Just it was it was really it was great from a from a, a coaching perspective because it really takes you back to the basics and you know almost starting from scratch. But yeah, was, it's nice when there's a little bit of talent there as well to, to yeah. add to it. For sure. Okay, and then you you, you arrived in Canada um, after that stint. What was what was your assessment of the the Canadian team and the the depth and the the facilities when you when you arrived? Well, it was a. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. Um, I didn't, because of visa problems, I didn't get to Canada until November, and we only had three weeks until we we went off to Dubai and Cape Town for the first leg. That's right. I hadn't realised that the players had been on strike since the end of the previous um, season over over terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. So no preseason training. Um, half the squad had retired, to, you know, to 
there's, there's, as you well know, there's, there's not much money in uh, as a player in Canada. Um, a lot of the players had decided enough was enough and gone off to, to pursue careers. Mm. So mm. it was um, it, it wasn't quite as rosy as as maybe I was hoping. Um, similar, I suppose, to, to Samoa. You know, the team had finished 13th on the World Series, um, just hung on to their position in the in the World Series uh, group. And um, very negative about lots of things. I think everybody was downhearted and down in the dumps. Yeah, you know, I, I spoke to I, again. It was the same thing. We 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 did more off the field to begin with. It. Mm. You know, they'd been a very predictable predictable team the year before, and they were they were easy to coach against. And you know, I spelled that out to the players, and and they agreed. And um, again, I, I went through why we were going to do what we were going to do, and why we were going to train in a certain way because. And and it was it was a much easier journey with them because obviously we we spoke the same language we it, it was easy to communicate and, uh, and you know I didn't have to encourage too much two way communication from them mm. did the same thing you know if you if you if you ever come to one of my sessions it's you you know there's more there's laughter and uh, and positivity because and I, and I felt that the first thing, time I met them that there was a lot of negativity around and everybody downhearted and I wanted to lift the, the spirits and uh, you, we didn't have a big squad and the, the team throughout the whole year has virtually picked itself because that's all, all we've had so um, mm. I, but I wanted to encourage them and give them confidence and I said look we'll, we'll go to Dubai and Cape Town we haven't had any chance to train it'll be a watching brief let's see where we are and what we're up to and, and whilst it didn't go very well in terms of results and we, we finished 13th in both legs which reflected where they were I saw things that I thought, you know, there's, there's one or two good players here who are a little mm. bit better. Maybe they are. And, and the change, I think, has only been that I've, I've, I've got the game plan, I think, that suits their skill set rather than trying to play a game, you know, based on, on whatever the coach thought previously. Yeah. I've tried to fit the game to the, to the players' attributes and they've preferred that and accepted that and seemed to, you know, it seems to have worked for them. Yeah, well, I think I think the results speak for itself. You had a, you know, you mentioned the, the tricky start there, but the second half of the season, yeah. Really... Once we got, yeah, Christmas was a was great. It gave me a chance to assess the games, assess the players. You know, we, and we we had a month before we went to Wellington and Sydney, and you know, the the, the next tournament in Wellington, we finished fourth and, yeah. and played really well. And it was only the number of injuries that we had that you know, we we dropped away the following week. But I think of the. The eight tournaments after Christmas, we we, we got to the quarterfinals six times out of the eight, whereas the previous year they, they never made the cup competitions ever. You know, so there's some great players there, and it was just a matter of a giving them some confidence and b finding a, a, a game plan that suited their you know their their attributes. Yeah, well, if if you were to look at like looking at the results overall, you won in Singapore and got bronze yeah. in London. Um, Eighth overall, so it's it's pretty huge, you know. And um, wh- what do you think? You mentioned the, the the confidence side of things, but in terms of um, you know game plan and strategy, or not giving too much away. But what do you think worked really well um, for you guys in that area? I mean, most teams on on the World Series go side to side and try and get around the outside of teams. Mm. Apart from Justin Douglas, we have no real speed in our team, so. It's pointless trying to outflank teams too soon. Yeah. On the other hand, I've got a you know a, a group of big, strong 
powerful athletes who um, who enjoy the confrontational side of the game. Mm-hmm. Much of that is based on going forward. I'm very rugby league in, it, in itself. You know, we we earn the right to go wide. We 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 can play close to the ruck and and draw teams in. We're very good at keeping the ball and. Then you know, having people like Nathan Hiriyama and Lucas Hammond who, who understand when they'll play with the heads up, which I know is what all coaches look for, but they can see when enough players have been drawn into them, move the ball that little bit wider, and and then we outflank teams. And yeah. the players have, have really bought into that, and they can see the the benefit of it all. And we we can we we we've scored some great tries moving the ball about, but you know our game's based on what we're good at, which is going forward and. We're quite happy to hold the ball for three or four minutes if we have to, and then score, as opposed to always looking to score off every every play. And the players have really, as I said, you know, they, they understand why we do what we do, uh, and they, they they enjoy doing that. Yeah, well, I think sevens has changed so much, you know, in the last five years. It used to be exactly that: the less phases you go into, the more games you win. And now it's the opposite. The, the breakdown is, as like you said, most teams that and Fiji keep away from the breakdown but, but that's because that suits the way they yeah, play the game I, exactly. I don't think you can you can you can use Fiji as an example on anything but <laughs> other teams it's, the breakdown has become such a big part of the game now you know South Africa's oh yeah while South Africa have uh, Sanatler and Speckman and, and all these guys who are, who are exciting their games are all won defensively and at the breakdown you know they're so good there you know New Zealand have done that for years um England are good at the breakdown. You know, Argentina make it a, a real dogfight. So you know, you have to be able to to compete at that. And we, whilst you know, my background is is catch pass, and and I, I spend a lot of time on that. We also spend a lot of time on the breakdown and, and making sure that our breakdown stuff is is second to none. Right, great. Um, all right. And what what about you coaching personally? What, what's your favourite area of sevens to coach, and 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 why is that? And what what's a session going to look like when you coach that part of the game? Um, you know, I, I looked at that question when you sent it through. I thought, I, I don't know why. If I have a favourite part, um, yeah. like anything, whichever part of the, the game you you practice and work on, and it and it it works for you in a game, does mm. you feel a lot of satisfaction? We. We do a lot of work on our set piece stuff, um, tap penalties and and uh, lineups because they're real starter plays for us and give us yeah. a real go forward. So, and we we we've, we've had some real success with them. Um, I, I love the uh, I love seeing players do the. You know, my favourite quote is that Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci one. You know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication and. I love seeing players do the simple things of catch and pass and carry really well. Uh, you know, and I highlight those in our video reviews when when it's done and, and something good comes from it. Um, so, you know, I do basic skills in every session I do. You know, we always do some grip or carry or catch, pass, something around basic things, um, tackle technique. Um, but... I, th- I think I love the uh, the attack side more than the defence. I, I, I love to see us try and you know the chess side where you want to move teams about and mm-hmm. see that come to fruition on a game time is I think very satisfying. What about um, what what advice would you give to coaches um, putting a sevens team together? Often it's kind of you've, you've it's in the middle of the season or the end of the season and. You know, you got maybe two or three sessions to to piece the whole thing together. How how would you prioritize uh, what what you work on in in that kind of situation? 
I'd stay away from too much structure because the game's all about chaos. Um, mm. One of the things we do when we, we, we train, whatever we do, whether it's a set move or whether it's open play, every player has to be comfortable in every position. So mm. the, the props and the forwards have to be at first receiver and, and make calls. So I'd work on, on doing the basic skills and making sure that everybody's comfortable in every position. Um, and I know that's easy to say, but you just want to make sure everybody's got the basic skills and understand you know, that they could be called on to use them at, at any time. Okay, cool. So w- what about now? What's, uh, what are your goals for next season uh, for the team? And, and also what are some work-ons that you, you want to try and do in terms of professional development in the off-season? Well, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of the players I coached back in the day are now head coaches at Super League clubs here in, mm. in where I'm on holiday now. Um, so I've spent some time going around just catching up with them and, and seeing what they're up to. So that's been my little bit of personal development over the last two or three weeks. Um, expectations going to be very high for the team next year because we've done much better than anticipated over the last few months. Mm. So we've got to maintain that consistency. But I think if we can... My main priority is to keep this basic group together and find three or four players to, to add to the squad because whilst you know the 12 have virtually picked themselves every every time we've gone because they're the best 12 we have and we've been lucky with injuries but I know that's not going to be the case always so I have to find players who can push the players who are, who've got their hands on the jersey now and mm. who are going to be there for the future so the biggest work on is going to be recruitment uh, and you know, I've only been in Canada six or seven months, so this summer is going to be big going around, meeting people and looking for players to bring in. Um, we lost tons of money from the Olympic programme, uh, which had a big knock-on effect for us, so we've got to try and uh, find some funding to help us do what we need to do. And you know, Behind the scenes, a lot of people at Rugby Canada are working hard to do that. Um, so there's tons to do it, and from from a teamwork on, we're, we're just we're not going to change too much because it would be foolish to do that. We've found a way of playing that suits us. It's to add a little bit of finesse to to a lot of the basics we do. Um, so, you know, that's that, there's some of the things I picked up here in England, and we'll we'll look to to add those to our game. Yeah, well, that's that's it's exciting, and I think uh, looking at the uh, the World Rugby seven side i think there's 178 days until the first tournament so <laughs> that sounds a lot but you're probably 174 actually it is sounds sounds like a lot but definitely with the amount of work uh, that you well, just mentioned lot, like I said, yeah last year we didn't get a pre-season this mm. we start pre-season training on the 25th of june or you know, right through to december we'll, we'll have a couple of warm-up tournaments and some time off in between but you know we're going to try and get a lot of really good work done in this time and give chance for, for injuries to, to heal and but to work on fitness and on the, the skill side of the game. Oh, that's great. It's exciting and uh, really looking forward to, to seeing how, how it pans out for, for, for the second year. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be great. All right. Well, we always end the show with the same final four questions. Um, when you were a kid growing up uh, in Yorkshire, who, who was one of your favourite players uh, going around? Well, it, in rugby league, it was a, a guy called Keith Mumby. He was the fullback for Bradford Northern mm-hmm. back in the day, and he was—he never seemed to ever miss a tackle, and, and always beat the first man when he ran the ball out. And he was—he uh, was who I'd have—you know—if I could have been that good, that was who I'd love to have been. And I always loved watching him play. 
uh, and I was lucky enough to, to, to meet him and, you know, uh, and call him a friend. Uh, so yeah, Keith was, uh, Keith was the man when I was growing up. Oh, beauty. Awesome. And what, and what about now? Who's a, who's a favorite, uh, player or favorite athlete or rugby player that you, you like watching? Um, well, it was Conrad Smith, um, but he's, he's retired. So yeah, Sonny Bill, I would say, yeah, yeah. Sonny Bill does all the things that I, you know, I love about rugby. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm not sure if Lions fans would would agree with you on that one. Maybe not, but <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's special. That's for sure. He's uh, unbelievable. That his offload game is uh, is right up there with the best. Yeah, and it was great to see the action close up on the you know uh, in the seventh circuit last year. It was That's great. Right, to- yeah. A chance to coach against him, and that, that was a, a great experience too. Awesome, awesome. Okay, and what about coaches? Who are some of the high-profile coaches that you that you respect and look up to? Well, I've been so lucky that I've, I've worked with and alongside and for some some fantastic people. But there was a guy, uh, and, and he's not with us anymore. God rest his soul. Uh, called Graham Murray, mm. an Australian who came to to Leeds in 1997. Uh, and I was his assistant for two years, and it, from my point of view, he he was the, the sort of final piece in my coaching jigsaw. He was a uh, technical coach is a, a ten a penny. I think you know there's lots of people who are good technically and things. The things that I found over my years involved is the best coaches have that man management ability, mm-hmm. which is why I, I, I you know I made such a thing about it in Samoa and then in Canada about. Trying to get the best out of people. Graham was was a genius at that, and he, he had huge success in Australia and in in England in his coaching career, wherever he went, because he was just so good with people, and he he had an ability to get people to do what he wanted, and and with a smile on the face, he he was always interested in people. He he just, but he could be hard as well at the same time. There was always that chance of a big stick coming down, but he was terrific, and I learned so much from him and. Um, you know, and I, I think about him and what he did often. It was uh, he had a huge effect on me. Uh, that's that's pretty huge. And what, what about um, what about local grassroots people that you've met in Canada? Who do you think deserves some recognition there? Well, there's a guy called Robin McDowell who, uh, from the first day I got off the plane, got in touch <laughs> with me, and uh, he, you know, I, pester's not the right word because that that indicates that it's a that's something I don't I don't um, want. It, He's he, he's constantly in touch, giving me the names of players, um, talking about you know what he feels the game needs. He's one of these people who, who Canadian rugby need to get involved in. I'm, I'm getting him on in the, as a junior Maple Leaf coach with the under 18s. He's just a, he's a terrific guy, and he's got he's Canadian rugby and sevens through and through, and he he's prepared to to go anywhere and do anything to further his career, which. It's not easy in a place like Canada where you know opportunities are limited, and uh, I, I just think he's a terrific guy. And I'm, you know, there's him and, and other people like him uh, who, who we need to encourage because you don't want to be bringing outsiders in all the time. You know, eventually it'd be great to to see Canadian coaches running Canadian rugby. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, I've seen seen what he's doing uh, on social media, and uh, he's definitely really active and. Moved to the prairies uh, to start up an academy there, which shows shows his level of commitment. Uh, Just uh, he, he'd gone to Mexico to work with the women national, you know, their national team. He, he's, he's, I, you know, you you need people who are willing to go that extra mile. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, my my long and boring story of my coaching career is, as, as 
you know, mirrored that. Sometimes you can't just stay at home. You you've got to take chances, and you know when they come and, mm. and push yourself forward. And and I, I see a lot of that in Robin. Cool, awesome, well, great way to end the show. Okay, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Damien, about uh, about your your coaching journey so far, and uh, really, like I said earlier, really excited to see how how Canada pan out in uh, in next season, and uh, yeah, great signs so far, and you know, can't can't wait to see uh, see how the boys run out again, and uh, yeah, so thanks again for your time for for joining us. It's uh, it's been a great chat. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, Keep sharing ideas to make the game better.